Well, good day, Fellowship family. Christ is risen. That's right. Hey, glad that you're here with us. If you are brand new, a guest, thanks for saying yes to an invitation uh, to celebrate Easter with us. So glad that you're here. Uh, I grew up in the church, and so uh, as long as I can remember, I remember this story of Easter that I'm going to be sharing with you. But alongside that story, I had this alternative story of an Easter bunny. And, and it was kind of tradition in our family that my mom would dress me up on a Saturday morning of this Easter weekend, take me to the local department store, and we'd have breakfast with the Easter bunny. How many of you have ever had breakfast with the Easter Okay, I'm still the only guy who's had breakfast with the Easter Bunny. And to be honest with you, uh, the Easter Bunny, or at least the costumes, always creeped me out. I was always creeped out by that. And so this week I was just, uh, I was, uh, you know, scanning uh, the internet and I came across some online pictures that just, just confirmed my fears that the Easter Bunny really is creepy. And here are our top 10 worst Easter Bunny costumes. You ready for this one? Yeah, how many of you remember the old Batman series? Okay, this one is the Joker Easter Bunny. The Joker Easter Bunny. Yikes. Okay, this one, we like to call this one the Angry Aunt Marge Easter Bunny. Okay. Hello, doll. Can you almost hear her? Okay, this one is the Colorado Easter Bunny. Okay, look at the eyes. Look at the eyes. You know where I'm going there? Okay, this is called the Touchdown Easter Pig. What in the world? This one is called the Grinch Who Stole Easter. What are they thinking? Okay, this is called the Three Sheets to the Wind Easter Bunny. Okay, this one is going to require you to look closely. This is called the get me out of this Easter bunny outfit. And here you got to do, look at the eye. Look at the eye. Yes, isn't that just classic? <laughs> okay, this one is called the Easter mange rabbit. <laughs> what in the world? Um, this one is called the abominable Easter bunny. It's also called Grandpa Fell Asleep, Easter Bunny. This one, uh, we have to tie for the number one here. The first one is the Felon Easter Bunny. They actually were arrested two hours after this photo for holding up a bank. And this one is called nothing more than the Eater Bunny, the Eater Bunny. <laughs> Gotta watch where you put those kids' heads, right? Okay. You know, with this celebration, two alternative stories going on here, we want to re-clarify. We want to reset on this celebration because this celebration has been going on for almost 2,000 years. And it wasn't something Christianity hijacked of a pagan celebration. It's always been about Jesus. This risen, alive Savior named Jesus Christ showed up and he revealed himself as God in the flesh. And he confirmed it and reaffirmed it over and over when he rose on this day. This, uh, this Easter, we are celebrating just this whole concept of rising up. What does it look like to rise up because of this true resurrection story? 
And there's three things I'm going to call you to rise up and three things that really were authenticated by the resurrection. And uh, Paul resources us with them and it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. He says this. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. We're going to talk about what it would look like for us to rise up to faith, hope, and love. Because I honestly believe that the origin and meaning of these words literally come to life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Think about it with me. If you know this story, think about the pictures you have of the resurrection. Empty grave. Disciples, men and women, excited about the resurrection that their Savior who was crucified, dead, and buried is alive. And he's revealed himself for who he really is. There's excitement. There's white robes and all that kind of stuff. But did you realize these events happened in perhaps the, the story behind the story? The story behind the story is, is that it happened amongst the worst examples of faith, hope, and love. I want to share three stories with you about that because I think uh, in the story behind the story, Jesus shows up and redefines the story in their lives and redefines uh, people in, in these three principles of faith, hope, and love. And I believe these are principles that we don't just know about or understand. They're, they're principles we need to experience. And I believe they'll transform our lives if we become people of faith, hope, and love. Let's take a look at this first one of coming alive or rising up to faith. Rising up to faith. Boy, the story of someone at their worst in faith at the resurrection is a guy named Thomas. And Thomas, I know he gets a, la- a bad word. I mean, we even get the coin the phrase, don't be a doubting Thomas. And, and certainly he had his issues once Jesus was resurrected. But before that, Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem. And in John 11, I mean, this guy rises up and very courageously says, uh, he says, let us go that we may die with him. All the other disciples were saying, man, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get killed. And Thomas is the one who steps forward out of all the disciples and says, no, let's go. Let's die with him. But Jesus is arrested. Jesus gets uh, tried. Jesus gets crucified. Jesus dies. Where is Thomas? Thomas has a crisis of faith. What I'd like to call the what if moment of faith. That what if moment. What if the guy I followed really wasn't who I thought he was? What if it's, it didn't work out the way I planned it? What if I've been following a lie? If I've been tricked? What if it's not true? And that what if really took a root. Because what if, when we have a crisis of faith, it's usually related to a surprise, something we weren't expecting. It's usually related to bad news that we receive. And certainly, we we had Thomas going, this is not what I expected. So Jesus, what does he do? He rises from the dead. He shows himself. And he he actually didn't rise from the dead in the corner that just a few people saw or one person saw. He actually, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he was eyewitnessed. Eyewitnessed by over 500 people in and around Jerusalem. And he physically physically appeared and, and showed them he's alive. He truly is God. He's everything he claimed to be and did everything he claimed to do. And so the disciples come to Thomas. Where is Thomas? He's alone. He's distant. He's isolated from his crisis of faith. 
And the disciples say, come on, we have seen the Lord. Don't you believe that? And he goes, look at his strong protest here. He says in, in John 20, verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hands into his side, guess, look at how strong it is. I will never believe. His worst moment of faith. No way. I'll never believe. How did Jesus respond to Thomas? Jesus rose up and he showed up to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, put your hand right here. See that? Thomas, put your hand here. Do you see that? That Stop disbelieving and start believing. And what does Thomas do? Thomas makes the first confession of faith after the resurrection. He says this, my Lord and my God. He believed Jesus was who he was, and he put his faith in him and trusted in him. His defining moment became when Jesus showed up and revealed to him he's alive. And you know, I've got to travel at different places around the world, and one of the a meaningful places that I've been able to travel is the city of Chennai, India. And in Chennai, or as the Indians call it, Chennai, I'm sorry, I mispronounced it. In Chennai, India, it's a city of about 13 million people, is, a, is Mount Thomas. And it was the place, he took the gospel, he took this news of Jesus about as far east as, as Paul took it west. And, and he shared the gospel and was literally killed for his faith in Chennai, India. At that place, on top of that mount, if you look down in the valley, there it has spelled out in rocks, his profession, my Lord and my God. And tradition has it that he was actually speared in the side. That's how he died. Isn't it ironic almost? That he touched the side of Jesus and was himself died for that. Died in that same way. And so I I look at this and and just go, wow, this is a guy who at his worst moment put his faith in Christ and it became the defining moment of his life. And he literally lived and died because of his faith in Christ. Have you ever had a what if moment in your life? You go, what if Jesus isn't who he said he was? What if I've been believing a lie? You're not alone. If you had a crisis in faith, a loss, a rejection, a failure, a shock, an illness, a diagnosis that just kind of hits you like a tsunami and you go, what in the world? What, what if everything I believed in, what if, what if this destroys me? Maybe you've drifted away and you got busy with life or you got busy with kids and you've kind of been untethered with, by faith. And you're wondering the what if question on this resurrection story. Maybe you stopped growing. You know, I find that a lot of us who grew up in the church, when we walked away from faith, that we stopped growing in faith. And so if you walked away at seventh grade or at eighth grade, and you're now in your 20s or your 30s, and you're wondering, wow, see, you can't answer the realities of adult life with a seventh grade understanding. You can't. So we've got to grow with our faith. You hit a crisis in faith and you revert revert back to a sixth grader with your faith and Jesus just stays in Sunday school. It's irrelevant to you. But that's why we've got to grow. And we're called to rise up to faith because Jesus has risen from the dead. Maybe you literally just stepped away. It wasn't relevant to you anymore. And you checked out of faith in Christ to another alternative story or way of life. You're not alone. Because I believe the story of Thomas at a worst moment of faith, 
is an opportunity here. See, we are a young church family. Our average age is 29 years old. And we love to get into conversations like this, right when we're young. And I'm sorry, I'm not young. I was 52 yesterday, but I'm one of the old dudes around here. But, but what we love to have is authentic conversations about faith. And this story really confronts us with the reality of who is Jesus? What? Can I just make the other angle of what if? What if he really was? What if he really is? And the resurrection says, yes. He is. We need to accept this by faith. But you know, as I have observed just this year, a young congregation dealing with some uncertainties in life, some crisis of faith, here's what I've observed. I've observed parents who lost their child. I've seen families who've dealt with suicide. I've seen car accidents take the lives of people in our congregation, illnesses, diagnoses, grim realities, kind of our worst moment. But you know, in these worst moments, I've seen people in crisis of faith hang on to the hand of the Lord and walk with him. And for no other reason than Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. I trust him. I've seen people go through their worst moments. How do they do that? Because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. It's not just a concept. It's a person. It's a reality of Jesus. And so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you define your life in faith. Faith. And what is faith? I mean, faith has to be more than I believe there's a God and I believe there's a Jesus. It's ultimately a transfer of trust from yourself to the work of Christ. Because Jesus calls us to trust in what he's done for us, not what we're doing for ourselves. I absolutely love this passage in Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 where Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's kind of the open arms of God saying, whoever calls on my name, I'll save because Jesus is our salvation. And when you trust in Jesus, what are you trusting in? You accept that Jesus lived for you a perfect life. He died for you on a cross and he rose again from the dead. Those are things we take by faith, but they build a certainty in us. So accept Jesus, that he's not only God, but he's the work of God that we need for our lives and the way of God for us in our lives. The resurrection calls us up to rise up to faith. But it also calls us to rise up to hope. There's that second word, rise up to hope in the promise of God through Jesus. Now, before the resurrection, there was also a whole group of people. If we were just to look at the scriptures now, and I don't have the time to go through all of that, we would find out that basically every follower of Jesus lost their hope when he was arrested, crucified, and died. It kind of shows us where we put in our hope. They put their hope in Jesus, and here's what their their hope story was. It's like, what now? They came to a crisis, what now? And I think about this. Before, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, the hour is coming, in John 16. He says, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. And everyone did. Because in Mark 16, or 14, 50, it says, and they all left him and fled. Scattered is the word for it. When their hope was dashed, when they, they, they had a crisis moment of hope. 
They thought that Jesus would liberate them. They thought that Jesus Jesus would give them leadership positions. They thought that Jesus would make them famous. And it kind of is that picture is when you come to Jesus and you want him to do what you want him to do, that's placing your hope in the wrong thing. I see a lot of people who want Jesus to do life for them and, and do things for them. So we follow him as long as he's doing things that we like to do. And Jesus came to give us a different hope. They had the kind of the what now moment when Jesus died. What do we do now? What now? We followed him. We left everything for him and we have nothing. Have you ever had a what now moment? What did Jesus do? Jesus showed up to them and he revealed himself to him as well to them as well as 500 others. And it all made sense. The the old promises of Jesus after the resurrection, they just started to put their hope in. Like that promise that Jesus said in John 14. He said, because I live, you also will live. They put their hope in him. And their despair became redefined in hope. A living hope. The resurrection took what was uncertain in them and made them assured and certain. And as you trace that word hope in the New Testament... You'll find it's not like betting on something or playing the odds. It's a certainty. And the certainty of the resurrection then built a certainty in their lives that Jesus was real and Jesus is a place I put my hope in. Have you ever had your worst day of hope? I remember mine. I was a senior at the University of Wisconsin. And ever since I was in sixth grade, you're going to laugh, but I wanted to be an accountant. An accountant, me, an accountant. And I wanted to be an accountant because there was this guy who lived uh, next door to us who was a, an accountant, and he had really nice cars. And uh, he had a job. He was always flying around, and he was valuing companies, and he was buying companies, and he'd be in those boardrooms. And I just saw him, and I wanted to be like him. I said, I want to be an accountant. So I wanted to be an accountant. And I enrolled in the University of Wisconsin, got into their business school, went all through that, and all of a sudden, my senior year in December of 1986, not like anyone's counting or anything. It was my worst day of hope. I, I failed out. I didn't make the grade. It came down to bond amortization. Anyone accountants know what I'm talking about? See that right there? That's bond amortization. I've had it since I was 22. But it was with that that I went, what now? What am I going to do? This has been my childhood dream. God, what are you doing? I thought you wanted me to do that because I was insecure and I was blaming him for it. And you know, God used that kind of failure in my life to kind of rebuild a new story. A new story that was built more on ministry than it was business and more built on me giving my life away to people rather than me getting up to a point where I had my own company and I could be self-supporting and everything like that. And, And I realized that I was placing my hope in a dream for what I could get out of life rather than putting my hope in Jesus. And at that moment, maybe you've had it. Maybe you've lost a job recently and you know kind of that what now? That what now moment? What am I going to do? Can I just tell you this? I'm here and I'm looking back at that moment and I'm saying that what now moment? God knows exactly what's going to happen. And we need to put our hope in him. 
Is it going to be something you could plan that you'll know in your timing? Probably not. It took me a while to get around to what I'm doing here. But I look back now and I go, man, I'm, I'm sorry if you're in accounting. I'm no offense, but really glad I failed out of accounting. I am. But it took me some time to get there. I believe, because I'm a person of hope, I believe God will walk through this in some of our greatest crises and losses in life. In heaven, he will take our hand and he will go, remember when you thought there was no hope? Remember your worst moment of hope? This is what I was doing. Are you willing to hang on to the hand of God when you don't know? Trusting him that he knows? That's being a person of hope. And the resurrection of Jesus, that's where that word is founded. On the certainty of the resurrection breeds in us a surety, an assurance of our faith. An assurance, not only that God is alive and that Jesus did everything we need, but God is also in control and he's working in our lives. We don't always understand it, but we're willing to place our hope in him. Not hope for what he can do for us, but hope, hope in what he is doing and aligning our lives with what he's doing. But then, not only was there a key moment of of hope and being redefined, but look at what Peter says about hope here. In 1 Peter 1, he says that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Just look at that passage there. That's really cool because here's the deal. This is far better than religion has ever sold me or you. Religion says, you want to get to heaven? Be good. Keep trying. And someday when your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, God will say, okay, come on in. And you know what? That's unsure, right? Because that's based on your performance, your attitude, your success. And, and we are hopeless if it's up to me or up to you. We are. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of shift back and we'll go, well, at least if I'm not good with God, I'm better than you. Okay. And I, we can compare this. Always someone that we can be better in, right? But that's not being someone who's living with the surety of Jesus. Folks, none of us are here because we deserve it. None of us are believers because we're these outstanding moral people. We're here because we need Jesus. Every one of us. And we're here when we take that humble step of faith and hope and place Jesus in that mix and say, you will lead me in hope. You will lead me in faith. This is far better than just being good or trying harder. We can walk away from here with a confidence that Jesus really is the person we're putting our faith and our hope in. Rise up to faith. Rise up to hope. And then rise up to love. That's the greatest of these is love. And uh, in this account of the resurrection, I absolutely love it because uh, the person I want to talk about now is Peter. You may have heard of Peter. Uh, in all the descriptions of, of the followers of Jesus and all the lists of the followers of Jesus in the New Testament, first person, first number one on the list of the top 10 or whatever is Peter. And we go, wow, wasn't he a great man? Let's build a church around him. No, no, that's not what the scriptures want us to do. Peter actually had his worst moment of love before the resurrection. Time and time again, Peter would go, Jesus, I love you. I'll give everything for you. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, hey, everyone's going to deny me and everyone's going to scatter. 
And look what Peter says in Matthew 26. He says, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. You know, now I know that just his wiring was probably more like mine. Open mouth, insert foot syndrome. You know, we're quick to jump in, but then we don't realize, what did I just say? That was Peter. That was Peter. He would die rather than deny. And Jesus said to him, Peter, before the morning happens, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. He goes, never. So Jesus gets arrested. Everyone scatters. Everyone runs for their lives. Peter shows up. He's with Jesus. Obviously, he's very concerned. He loves him, right? So he's with him. And he's being tried in Caiaphas' court. And a servant girl points her finger at, at Peter and goes, you're one of them. You're one of his followers. You're that guy. And he goes, I love this statement. It goes, I do not know this man of who you speak. Boy, he was in the inner circle, wasn't he? How'd you like that? Your closest friend denies you. and denies him three times. I don't know this person that you speak. And then the rooster crows. And he remembers those words of Jesus that haunted him. Where was he? Well, Jesus resurrected. He saw with his own eyes the empty tomb. He believed. But what did he do? I think this crisis of love in his life, this crisis of relationship, forced him to a what for question. It's a question of purpose. What is my life for now? Now that, you know, I I told Jesus I was following him. I I was a failure at that. He rises from the dead. He proves us all wrong. He really is God. What do I do now? Because I say this because where do we find him? After the resurrection. He goes back up to Galilee, to the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus first met him. It's 80 miles away from Jerusalem, which is a long walk, folks. 80 miles is a long walk. And, And he started doing what he was doing before Jesus met him. And he's fishing. What does Jesus do? Jesus shows up for Peter's fishing. Do you see the pattern here? These people at their worst. Thomas at his worst. What does Jesus do? Show up. What? All of his followers at, at their worst with hope. What does Jesus do? Show up. At Peter at his worst. And what's my life for now? Meaning, purpose, significance. What does Jesus do? He shows up and repurposes Peter. He said, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he asks him. Some scholars think he asked him three times because he denied him three times. But ultimately, Peter goes, yes, 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 three times. I do. I love you. And so Jesus says, follow me. And so he's called. He was repurposed from fishing then to fish for men and to advance the gospel. And Peter does that. Jew and Gentile, Peter goes out of his comfort zone and he lives for Jesus and he loves people with Jesus. He encourages, he encourages people in verse, verse, uh, Peter, verse one, eight through nine, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your soul, outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter was repurposed in love. You know, when I ask people, what do you think God is like? Like the number one answer I get back is God is love. And the scriptures do say that he is love. But what kind of love is he? And that is, it's a very different love than we've ever experienced. Because the love of this world is basically you do this for me and I'll do that for you. We show up to get with love. I'm lonely. I'm isolated. I need 
to date you. <laughs> so, so you date someone so that you can have companionship. You can have someone say you're great. Have someone say you're special. We do things and, or we don't do things if people don't show us the love we want from them. We choose. That's all conditional on what people do for us. God's love has always been God coming to us. I, I love that about God. In Romans 5, 8, it says that God showed us his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were at our worst, Christ Jesus died for us. And another one, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, walk in love as Christ loved us. And here's the, here's the definition of love. Gave up himself for us. So love is really giving yourself up. It's not showing up to get, it's showing up to give. And that's where everything transforms in us. There's something in us that wants to be loved without having to earn it. And there's something in us that loves to serve without getting anything from it. And Jesus reunites us with how he's ultimately created us to be. People who love willingly and sacrificially. And so we want to be a church family that does that. We want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and Peter and, and rise up to love. So I want to invite you back next weekend because we're starting a new series. It's a three-week series called The Flow of Everything. And I believe we have to be intentional about loving. And we're going to practice loving with no strings attached. Because as God's love flows into our lives, it's not meant to just, you know, dead end and stagnate. It's meant to be moved through our lives. And that's a key passage for us to follow. Now, here's what we're going to do. Next week, I want you to go uh, and, and look in your cupboards, and I want you to look at how many cans you have or, or non-perishable goods, and bring them back next week. Bring 10% back. So if you have 10, 10 canned goods or, or rice or beans, 10 of those, bring back one, okay? Because that's 10%. I failed out of accounting, but I'm good at basic math, okay? <laughs> and bring back 10% of your food, because here's what we're doing. We're, we're teaming up with the Topeka Rescue Mission, and we're going to come alongside and love, no strings attached, different families in our community who are under-resourced right now. We're going to show them the love of God. And it's not going to, it's not going to, you aren't even going to miss that food. But we, if we all did it together, could make a significant uh, picture of God's love around this city. Second thing, on, on week two, we're going to ask you to give 10% of your clothing to the Lord. And we're going to help people in this community who don't have clothing. And we're going to clothe them. So bring, you're not even going to miss it. Trust me, I've done this four times. My wife goes, yes, I can go shopping again. <laughs> but I would just encourage you. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, on that week because that third week of that series, we're going to show up at 501 Schools on, on May 6th. And we're going to do something called ShareFest. This is now our 11th year of doing it. And we show up and we do landscape overhauls of the 501 Schools. And we pay for it and take care of all the labor for it. We're expecting 1,500 people to show up and radically change the exterior picture of 501 schools. This has made the greatest blessing to our community over the course of these years. And we want you to be connected into it. And then that night of May 6th, you know, there's so many protests going on down at the Capitol. We're going to have a celebration of love and we're having Lecrae come that evening, 
He's one of the key hip-hop artists of our country right now, one on top on the charts there. And we're providing a, a, uh, a group here in town called AIM-5 is providing a free concert to the city of Topeka. We're going to join them and celebrate what God has done at ShareFest. So I hope you could come down and celebrate that. If you feel, you know, kind of older and you've lost your hip, well, you can still hop down there, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. It still gets a laugh after five services. How about that? So we want to be a group of people who just don't receive God's love for what we can get from it. We want to be people who give God's love. Think about that. It's a constant movement because when we rise up to love, God sources us with his love. And I hope I'm a better man next year in the area of faith, hope, and love than I am this year because that's what we're called to rise up to. I think God has brought each one of us to this place for this reason, to rise up to these three concepts of faith, hope, and love. Some of you are here, and you've heard this, and you believe this. Can I just tell you, recalibrate your life right now. Just go, this week, I'm going to be intentional about being a man or a woman of, of faith, hope, and love. People around me are going to see faith, hope, and love. Rather than worrying, whether me at my worst, I really want to hang on to the hand of Jesus. And bring out his best in me this week. Others of you, you've been away. And I don't believe you're here by accident. I believe everyone, God has brought everyone to this place to again hear the story. And can I just say, maybe you might want to redefine your life on those three words. You've just drifted. But can we just re-clarify those words? Maybe you can express to God, God, I've kind of been away. I've kind of been distant. But you called me again to faith, hope, and love. I'm going to be that person now. I'm going to trust in you to do that. And just redefine your life. And then some of you, all this is brand new. And can I tell you something? Every weekend, we have a whole bunch of people who's going, I've never heard this stuff before. I've been in religion. I just never caught that it's a relationship. And it really is a relationship. It's not in what you are doing or what you have done. It's only in what Christ has done. If you could be good enough, Jesus would have never had to come. But none of us can. And none of us are here because of a righteousness on our own. We're here because Jesus is perfect. He lived perfectly. He died completely. And he rose finally from the dead. And we put our faith in him. And I would just invite you to join in with faith right now. Make a defining moment in your life. A defining moment starts with a prayer. God, I get it. It's not about what I'm doing. It's what you've done. I trust in Jesus who lived, died, and rose again for me. He's my Lord. In other words, I'll follow him. He's my God. I will live for him. And that that takes just seconds to define your life on those and then just trust God whatever he's going to do with that. Because here... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a confidence, assurance you can have because of the certainty of the resurrection. So before I pray and just close our time, because I want to pray for each of us to live like this, um, I want to call your attention to the tear-off card on the bottom of your worship program. And on it, if you have uh, found Christ and received him into your life by faith. If you defined your life on faith, hope, and love through Christ, just check that box. 
if you uh, were kind of disconnected and reconnected today. That's second box. Just check that box and give us your information so we can connect with you. We have some really good materials that literally hundreds of people have have been blessed with uh, that we we give to you free free of charge just to help you take these steps with Christ as being a faith, hope, and love person. I hope you'll do that. And then just tear it off and put it in the offering plate and we'll connect with you. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God. We center our lives on faith, hope, and love that can be lived and experienced each day because of the resurrection of Jesus. And we thank you for everyone in this service who took that first step of faith, confessing Christ, beginning to be a person of faith, hope, and love. Father, give us such faith and hope and love that they cannot help to share this great news with others and to overflow into others' lives. We thank you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.